that that grace is something that um, causes us to breathe and causes us to live, causes us to want to know you, but also that causes us to want to go and, and help others to know that grace that we found, that hope that we found, the joy in the life that we found, the peace that this world could never offer to us and that no amount of money or wealth or status could ever buy for us. Thank you that in Christ we have indeed all that we need, and so we cling to you today. We cling to you because a lot of times, like, you're all that we have to hold to. When it seems like many things are going crazy in our lives or in our world, when it seems like things are difficult and uh, prayers that we've been praying seem to go unanswered for a long time, uh, yet we hold on to this hope uh, that you love us, that you, Father, are our good and gracious God, and that you love us so very much. And so we trust you. We trust you in our prayers. We trust you. Um, and even the act of showing up is itself an act of faith. And so uh, you delight in that when it's hard for us to do that. Uh, you are honored through our coming and expressing that faith to worship you in the midst of the challenges. So we thank you that this grace has been given to us. We thank you for not only individually and in our families and uh, in the circles in which we live. We thank you that also as a church, these things are true. Thank you that you give us the grace that we need. And in our weakness, uh, your power is displayed. And so... In prayer, we acknowledge our weakness. We exchange our absolute lack for your overwhelming supply. And we come and we give to you our need. We come poor in spirit, for ours is the kingdom of heaven, that you are the riches that we need. And so we lift up our church and the many different things that we do as we go through initiatives to really build the life of prayer and to weave that into congregational living. We pray that you would help us to be a church that prays, help us to be a church grounded in the word of God, to be a church that's grounded in the gospel, a church who is so driven by it on the inside that it compels us to go forth boldly on the outside, not only at school, at work, but uh, to the nations, in the mission field, in whatever way you're calling us, that you would help us to incarnate uh, the hope of Christ. Thank you that you are a God who is, Jesus, who is gentle and humble in heart gentle and lowly and you're drawn to us in our need we lift up to you um, our friends who are serving in places around the world and many of them in sensitive locations so we pray for them as we remember their faces and their names Lord we lift up their nations the countries that they've given themselves to the people that they've given themselves to maybe some in in Korea and China some to the college campuses or to mobilize people into the mission field some amongst the Uyghur people of China others in Japan some in Ecuador. We lift up our friends and our workers who are serving you in Spain, in Cameroon, in Jordan, in Turkey, in Australasia. We lift up our particular missionaries in Australasia, David and Julie, as they, uh, David has gone through surgery to remove a tumor from his eye and he still has two aneurysms in his brain. We pray you would bring comfort, healing quickly to him. We lift up our workers in Myanmar and in uh, Kyrgyzstan. We pray for those in Thailand and Taiwan and uh, preparing to go back there. We lift up our workers in Vietnam and we thank you for the grace given to us to be able to partner uh, with friends like these. We pray that your gospel would go forth as much uh, in them as well as through them so that uh, the kingdom of God would be seen, the invisible kingdom made known in places where your people are. We thank you that there is no friend. We could never find a friend like Jesus. No one will ever compare. No one will ever come close. So we thank you that Jesus longs to be a friend to us as we've been looking at that idea for the past eight weeks. We pray that today as we hear, Lord, give us ears to hear for those who've been reluctant to that friendship of Jesus. Lord, lower the walls. Lord, lower the guard within our heart that we might hear from you and it would be music of the gospel to our ears. 
Pray that you would be with me, my gracious master and my God. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. May grace meet us in the sermon and may grace meet us in our sacrament as we come to this table after we hear your word. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for being the church. Thank you for bringing it into this room, for joining and lifting uh, your voice in worship. It's always, uh, yeah, it's always great to worship God alone, and that's where uh, some of our best worship happens when we gather together as a people of God. Um, it is hope-filling and encouraging because we need to hear people sing that song out loud uh, to each other. That's what it says in Ephesians, right? We sing to one another and we speak to one another through the songs of the church. And so uh, thanks for being here. Uh, if you're new, welcome. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, you can pop by. Uh, we'll say hello to you in the cafe and get to connect with you in a little bit deeper way. Um, that would be our joy. Uh, as we begin this uh, Sunday morning, hopefully you uh, enjoyed your extra hour of uh, whatever it is that you did this morning. But I want to invite you to think about when the last time you had a really hard day. When the last really hard day that you had. Maybe it was a hard day, maybe it was a bad day, maybe a series of unfortunate events that took place in a particular uh, season or time or week of your life. When was the last time you had a bad day, a hard day? Maybe it was, uh, I don't know, you're a student and you got on the bus to go to school and uh, someone sitting next to you reminded you that you've got an exam that you did not study for because you had forgotten because you were doing something else yesterday. And you're like, oh my gosh, and already your day has been ruined. Maybe you just woke up on the wrong side of bed and you woke up cranky. Even though you got eight hours of sleep, you're upset because of something. You don't know what it is. You can't put a finger on it. Maybe it's uh, you're driving to work and you thought, yeah, today's going to be the day. I'm going to get to work 15 minutes early. I'm going to sit in my car and have a devotion with the Lord. Uh, but you get a flat tire on the way in and you're like, man, this always seems to happen. Like right when I'm like trying to pursue God. Or maybe it's just you're, you're stuck in traffic and, and it's frustrating to you. Maybe uh, you woke up excited for the week at work or school and uh, you woke up with a scratchy throat and you got knocked out of commission because you're sick. Think about the last time you're having a hard day. As you think about that, I want you to then think about how did you treat the people around you? How did you treat your family, your coworkers, your classmates, your teacher, your boss? How did you treat the people around you in the midst of your bad day? Because there's something about real situations that expose real people, that bring out the real us. Uh, real situations have a way of exposing fake people, another way to say it. Um, it is to my shame that I say, man, when I'm having a bad day, like, I don't want to be around people. <laughs> I don't want to see people. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want you to talk to me. I don't want you to bother me. I just want to be by myself. I'm a bad friend when I'm having a bad day. Is anyone like that? Like, when it's, when it's just a crummy day, like, I don't want to be a good friend to anybody. It's just me, maybe. But, hey, uh, that's my reality. We think about this, a lot of times we're having a bad day, we're having a hard day, we're having an awful day, it usually affects the kind of friend that we are to other people. But what I want to do today is I want to show you that Jesus, on the hardest day of his life, on the worst day of his life, if you will, a day that, that night before he'd been rejected, betrayed, accused, mocked, the next morning he's spit on, he's ridiculed, he's abandoned by his friends, he's even abandoned by God himself. Yet on that kind of a day, what kind of a friend was Jesus? 
I want to talk about the kind of friend that Jesus was on the hardest day of his life so that you and I could understand that now as he rules and reigns in glory, the kind of friend that he could be to you. If this is the kind of friend he can be on the hard day, then what does he offer to us on the best of days? This is Luke chapter 23. We're going to look at the Gospels. We're going to look at the last day of Jesus' life before he was resurrected from the dead to overthrow the grave, and then for 40 more days he would show himself to uh, people. But Luke chapter 23, we're going to read verses 39 through 40, the hardest day of Jesus' life, and yet the kind of friendship that he offered to an unsuspecting friend. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, this is the word of God for the people of God. He says, one of the criminals, okay, one out of the two criminals, who hung there being crucified next to Jesus, okay? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. He was like throwing them at him like they were a grenade. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us, mocking him. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is God's word. Amen and amen. I remember uh, after one of our worship services, a a middle school school young man um, walked out of worship service and he was a little bit like angsty and anxious and a little bit kind of on edge. And he said, Pastor D.L., I really need to talk to you. It's a spiritual issue. He said, I have a question. It's really important. And so I said, okay, you know, when, when, uh, you know after we finish greeting people, I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you. But he kind of kept on hovering around like he was really, like, really wanted to know. And what he said was, I did something really bad, and I don't think God can forgive me. What do I do? I did something really bad, and I don't think God can forgive me. And knowing him, and I don't know what it was, um, but he's a sweet guy. He's a sweet, sweet young, young dude. Um, so I said, just, hey, yeah, just wait a couple seconds. And what I eventually ended up telling him is the message that Jesus would give through these words that he gives to a criminal who's been crucified next to him on the hardest day of both of their lives. But Jesus, on the worst day of his life, turned the worst day of a criminal's life on death row into the best day of that young man's life, and it changed his eternity. You know the words, today, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. But it's not as much what he said that matters. You could have gotten that in different places. But what matters the most in the scandal of it all is who he was talking to when he gave these words. He's talking to a criminal who's being crucified, and that may be all we need to know, but there's a little bit more of the story that we're going to flesh out. Three things that Jesus showed through these words to this man, and maybe three things that that young gentleman in middle school needed to know, maybe some things that you and I need to hear as well. Three things. Here's the first one. The first thing is that you are not too lost to be Jesus' friend. Okay, you're not too lost to be Jesus' friend. As you read this in Luke 23, verse 40, verse 41, verse 42, it doesn't really seem that audacious an ask of this criminal. 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It doesn't seem that bold. It doesn't seem that, you know, crazy for him to make that kind of request. It's, it's kind of like, you know, we, we see this sometimes when you've got a friend, you've got a friend who, uh, that you grew up playing baseball with them or something, and, and they're getting really good as they get into middle school and they get into high school, and they start getting offers and they start getting, you know, talked about and, and, and written up in websites, and you're like, dude, when you, become, when you become the starting first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, hey, remember me when you become famous, right? Remember me. Or you've got a friend who's like, they're, they're like, whenever our youth ministry gets together and they do um, Bible trivia, like you're the one who's always killing it. Like your team is awful, but you are the franchise. <laughs> you, are, you are the one carrying the team and your shoulders are so heavy every Sunday afterwards because you're carrying the team so much, but someone, you're so good at it that someone says to you, hey, when you go on Jeopardy like, and you win a million dollars, can you remember me? Right? It's, it's kind of like that. Jesus, hey, when you, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. That's kind of what it seems like he's saying. But the person who tells you to remember them, that's what makes a difference, right? That's what makes all the difference in the world. Say this is somebody who's like always picked on you. They're always mean to you. They always like steal your food. Every time like you come to church, they're the ones who are making fun of you. They're the ones who are like kicking you. They're throwing dirt on you. They're the ones who are putting like lizards in your backpack and your lunchbox. And, and they just torment you all of your existence uh, everywhere you go, they've been making fun of you as you grow up. You grow up that way, and then at the end, when you're graduating, on your like, senior banquet night, they're like, hey, remember me when you become famous. You're like, yeah, I remember all the things that you did to me. But I'm not going to remember you in the way that you want me to remember you. See, what's happening here is this man is a criminal. We don't, know, we don't know much about it. You don't know his family background. You don't know his name. You don't know his last name. You don't know his age. But a couple things that we know. A couple of things that we know, and I want to give us a, a fuller orb picture. In Matthew chapter 27, it gives the same account of Jesus being crucified in between two criminals. Okay? It's a similar thing that we, we read in Luke. But what it says in Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, it says that, I'm sorry, in, in, verse, 40, in verse 41, it says, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders mocked him. So all of these people are making fun of Jesus. People are passing by. They're looking at Jesus. They're like, ha, you said you're the king? You're the son of God, the king of the Jews? And they're mocking him and they're insulting him. They're calling him a loser. They're making fun of all the things that he did. They're calling him names. And it says here in verse 44 of chapter 27, in the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So it's not like all these people are talking smack to Jesus. One criminal is like mocking Jesus, throwing, lobbing these grenades of insults at him. But the other guy is like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, he's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me. I've been on your side the whole time. That's not what's happening. The entire time we see this, all of these people are mocking him in a chorus of boos and jeers. The criminal next to him is doing that, but the same thing in verse 44, it says in the same way, the robbers who are crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It wasn't just one of these guys. Both of these guys were doing it. The thief on the cross on either side of Jesus were heaping insults. Literally, the picture is they're taking buckets of insults and they're just throwing it onto Jesus. Can you imagine that? Do you remember... About seven years ago, there was a viral challenge on social media called the Ice Bucket Challenge. Anyone remember the Ice Bucket Challenge? Yeah. Some of you may have done this. It's where you get in your bathing suit or whatever. You, you have your clothes, and, and uh, either you dump a bucket of ice on yourself, or someone comes and they dump a bucket of ice on you. 
It was for a cause, Lou Gehrig's disease, to raise awareness, and, and it did all that. But you're basically taking ice, and you're getting it dumped all over you. You're like, ooh, so cold. People are like, oh. And then, hey, go to this website and support this cause. The language of both Matthew and Mark is of a similar thing that's happening. As Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the perfect Lamb of God, our Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and Lord, our King, our Creator, as Jesus is being crucified, thieves being crucified next to Him are taking literal, not literal, figurative buckets, not of ice but of insults, and they're heaping it on Him. Who would, who would mock a dying man like that? especially when they are undergoing the same criminal sentence. As this man is hanging on the cross, he's looking at Jesus, and he's dumping insults on him. Some kind of king you are, some kind of god you are, look at you, strip, whatever you can think. I mean, how much trash can you talk to a man who's dying on a cross? But that's what this fool is doing, this criminal on the cross is doing. He's talking all kinds of garbage to Jesus, making fun of him. And on the other side, the other crook is doing the same thing. Who is this man with the audacity to do that? Well, he's a criminal. He's a robber, it says in one gospel account. He's a thief, it says in others. It's a criminal, it says in others. So take all these things together. He's not just a kid who shoplifts something from Target and is getting busted for it. You understand that the Roman system of law is similar to our system of law, that the punishment must fit the crime. In other words, if you're getting crucified, it's not a slap on the wrist. It's not five years in jail. There is nothing in our modern equivalence to what crucifixion was in the ancient world. Nothing could even come close. You say, when you wear a cross around your neck, some people, they say, hey, do you really know what that cross means? It's like you're wearing an electric chair around your neck. It's like you're wearing a hangman's noose around your neck. It's like you're wearing a lethal injection needle around your neck. It's like you're wearing a gun around your neck. That's what it means to wear a cross. Yes and no. More so, no. It was an instrument of killing, the cross was, but even more so, it was an instrument of torture meant to prolong the suffering of the one who's being crucified in order that everyone who's watching or everyone who passes by would learn a lesson. What is that lesson? If you mess with the Romans, this is what happens to you. You don't just die, you get tortured. Cicero said no one would die within 36 hours. It would take 36 hours of painstaking, excruciating, you know the word excruciating, comes from the crucifixion, ex out of cruciating, the crux, the cross. Out of the cross, there's a suffering that comes from the cross that is unlike any other kind of suffering. An excruciating pain meant not to kill first, but meant to torture you in order that everyone around would know that this is what happens when you mess with Rome because it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified. That's how bad it was. The Romans would pray to their gods that they would never, ever, ever, ever have to witness a crucifixion because of the PTSD that would come to them if they were to witness such a heinous and horrific act and to hear the screams and the suffering of someone who is actually being crucified. This is not just a petty larceny that's being punished. This was the worst of the worst kind of crime that is being tortured, that is being punished by suffering to prolong the torture of the one who had perpetrated this crime. If, indeed, the crime fits the punishment, then there's nothing, and there's nothing like crucifixion 
then who knows the lengths of the criminal activity of this man? Some commentators say the actual language, and I'm not sure about this because I haven't studied the Greek, but some commentators say the actual language is he was a professional criminal. In other words, he was an assassin, he was a thug, he was a paid whatever, well, he was a terrorist, but he was taking things from people. Maybe that's why he could say, hey, remember me in paradise, because he's used to getting things that he did not deserve. The audacity of this man. A criminal, a crook, a thug, the worst of the worst. What Jesus says to us through his asking, remember me, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus saw something of faith within this man, and he says, you'll be with me. This is crazy. How crazy is it? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, none of you are too lost to be a friend of Jesus. Maybe you feel like you are. Hey, some of you feel like you're too lost. You've done things that you regret. You do things that you're ashamed of. You do things that you wish you never posted on the social media when you're in that state of mind. You do things, you've done things, and you just wish that there could be a magic eraser that undid all of that stuff. The message of Jesus to you and to me through his message on the worst day of this man's life is that you're not too lost to be a friend of Jesus. This guy, man, all he's Jesus, just remember me. That's all I'm asking. Just saying, I understand, maybe you're not who... Maybe you're not the bad guy. That's all he's saying. You're not the bad guy that everyone thinks you are. Just remember me. Jesus gives him far greater than that. When I was in, uh, when I, was in uh, I think I was in college. Must have been in college. Yeah, I was in college. And uh, my brother and I, we were at a, uh, at a prayer mountain called Anna Prayer Mountain in, in Maryland. And we just wanted to do a couple-day prayer retreat. We were just praying and, and just seeking the Lord and the day that we were leaving, it was like pouring rain, just dumping rain out, like just crazy kind of rain, almost like the rain we had the other day, just pouring rain. And as we were leaving, we're kind of like hanging out, walking around outside, and I'm kind of walking briskly through the rain, and he said, stop! <laughs> so I'm like getting all wet, and he's like, dude, you almost stepped on that toad. Almost stepped on a toad. Okay, so I stopped, and I looked at that toad, that nasty wart-filled, amphibious, nasty-looking thing, and I was thinking all of these mean and awful thoughts. Like, I wanted to, like, I, I'm glad that I didn't step on it because that, that would have felt nasty, right? You ever step on a toad before? Like, I didn't want to do that. So I, I was looking at the thing, and I was like, I want to kick that thing into the next state. Like, I was like, how dare you? Like, I'm getting soaked because of you because I stopped for you stupid little toad here. I wanted to kick that thing so nasty, right? Not a frog. Like, frogs are smooth. They're kind of like a little bit cute. If, you're, if you don't like slimy, they're not really. But toads are nasty, right? They're the warty ones. They're like the dark brown with all like the splotches. So I was like thinking all of these nasty thoughts. I was like, how dare you get in my way, you stupid toad, and all these evil things. And I was going to kick him. And my brother's like, dude, you can't do that. Like, don't kick that thing. And so I stopped, and it's almost like, I don't know. I, I have these moments as I recollect. It's like you, I'm, I'm watching myself in a, in, a, in a drama, and it's like slow motion. I'm getting soaked with rain, but it's like falling, like slow motion. I'm looking at that toad, that toad that I wanted to step on or didn't want to step on, but I wanted to kill. I wanted to kick him into New Jersey. I'm staring at that thing, 
And it's like he's completely oblivious. I think it's, it's, I call it a he, I don't know what it was. But that toad was completely oblivious, completely oblivious, just sitting there. And all these like evil, wicked thoughts started coming to my mind. You're so ugly, like so stupid, like so dumb, don't know anything. But when my brother told me to stop, it's almost like, almost like that, that toad, as he was looking off into the distance, was having this conversation with me to like melt my heart. He's saying, I know I don't deserve it, but could you just spare my life? Just spare me my life, please. 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 Don't kill me. Just spare me. Just allow me to live. Just allow me to have my fun, have my time until it's time for me to go. Then my brother said something crazy. He said, let's take him home. I was like, what is wrong with you? Are you crazy? He's like, wait here, make sure he doesn't go anywhere. If he goes somewhere, make sure you see where he goes. He got a cup, and he put the toad in the cup, and he's like, we're going to bring this thing home. And that was the day that this rotten, despised, nasty, wart-filled, disgusting, good-for-nothing, should have been kicked to the other side of the world, toad named Gregory came home to become part of our family. And Gina claps. Praise God. Isn't that crazy? Like that stupid toad became a beloved part of the Kim family. Gregory Kim. He had a birth certificate and everything. This is what happened with the thief on the cross. Good for nothing, dirty, rotten, sinful, so disgusting, spiritually leprous and wart-filled, looked at Jesus and said, please, just remember me. That's all I've asked you. Jesus says, I'll do far more than that. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The message of Jesus to this criminal is a message of Jesus to you and to me is that you are not too lost. Whatever you thought about yourself, whatever anybody told you about yourself, people have told you lies about who you are, that you're too far out there, you're too far gone. Maybe your mom and dad told you that. They kicked you out of the house, said you're never good enough. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Listen, you are never too lost to be my friend. That's the first thing that we see here in this message of Jesus to the crucified criminal, number one. Number two, second thing Jesus says, he says it's not too late for you to be Jesus' friend. It's not too late to be his friend. I don't know if you've ever been late for something. Some of you are the kind of type who never wants to be late for anything. You're always like 15 minutes for everything. That's great, but it annoys the heck out of your friends who are not ready to leave because they're still getting ready. Maybe you're the kind of person who's always late for everything. Late for everything. Late for lunch, late for church, late for school, late for work. You were born late. Everything about you is just late. You ever been late for anything and you suffered the consequences of it? There was a time when I was in like fourth or fifth or sixth grade, I was a kid, and in our Sunday school class at church, we were going to King's Dominion. That was up in Virginia. That was like the, uh, it was like the, the theme park, like the Island Adventure, um, Disney World of, uh, of Virginia. It was like Mad Ghetto. It was kind of like dirty and, and hood, but hey, you know, it's okay. It's, it's fun. It's the best we had. We were going to, going to King's Dominion, and we're supposed to meet at church at 9 o'clock on Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday morning. We would get dropped off there, take the church van, and we would all go down teachers would drive us. And I remember thinking to myself, we've got to go. We've got to leave. 
but we weren't leaving for whatever reason from the house to get to church. So I was like, Mom, Dad, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And I forget if I was late or they were late. I just remember thinking to myself, I'm going to be late. So we're getting there, and I'm like, Dad, you got to go faster. Thinking to myself that, I wouldn't say that or else I'd get beat up. But I said, Dad, you got to go faster. We got to go faster. We're not going to make it. Got to go faster. Got to go faster. We get to church, um, and I remember my dad saying, don't worry, they always leave late. Someone always comes late. They never leave on time. He was right. There is always someone who was late. It was me, <laughs> and they had left me. I got to the church parking lot. All the cars were gone. No church van was there. I was like, either everyone is super-duper late, or I missed the bus. Well, we waited about five minutes, ten minutes. Nobody else showed up, and I realized that it was too late. And they had left. No big deal. I ended up, we ended up chasing them down. We didn't have cell phones, but my dad said, they go to this gas station, they always stop to get gas, and we're going to meet them on the highway. So we met them on the highway, and it was crazy. It was like this rescue exchange where I jumped in the car, and this girl named Heidi, who didn't like me, she's like, you're the reason we stopped? I was like, what's up with that? Anyways, so sometimes it's late. Sometimes you're late, and sometimes it's too late. Sometimes it's too late. And maybe you feel like you're too late when it comes to all of the things that you've done wrong in your life. Look at this guy. You remember, for all of his life, this guy lived a certain way. And even as he's dying on a cross, he's had enough filth and sinfulness in his heart that he is heaping and hurling insults at Jesus. But the very last thing that we, record, that we see recorded being spoken from his lips. You know what, Jesus? Remember me when you come into the kingdom. Like for 47 minutes and 59 seconds of his life, he's losing the basketball game, but in the last second, he throws up a prayer, and it goes in, and he wins the game. And everything is different because he's won the championship just because he knew that it was not too late for him. Maybe some of you feel like it's too late for you. Maybe you're like the, the high school senior that I remember talking to some years ago. She just said, I grew up in church. I, my parents were devoted believers, but things happened along the way, and I fell off on a bad path and, and started going down a path of sin. And I made some bad choices, and she said, I am so bad now, I don't think I can come back. Whenever I think about coming back, I think about when I'm tempted to sin or tempted to go to Jesus, I think to myself, I'm already so messed up. What's a little bit more sin in my life? I'm too far gone to come back to Jesus. Maybe if some of us are honest here today, you feel the same way. You're like, I'm, I'm too far gone. It's a long way back to Jesus. I've been, out, I've been out for too long. Jesus says, no, no matter how long you've been going on the wrong road. Remember the, the Luke 15, Jesus' story of a son who was a prodigal who wasted everything of his dad's inheritance and lived it up. He was so far out there, but at any moment, all he needed to do was to just make a U-turn. It was never too late. It was never too late because his daddy was waiting for him. It was never too late for them. It was never too late for him, and it's not too late for you.
It's not too late for your friends. It's not too late for your children. It's not too late for your sons and daughters who are wayward. It's not too late for the friend that you've been praying about that you stopped praying about because you feel like it's too late. It's not too late for the person who's strung out on something tonight. It's not too late for the person who's hung over because of what they did last night. It's not too late for the person that you feel like you're giving up on. Jesus says, as long as you've got the breath of life in you, it's not too late. It's not too late. The crazy thing to me as I think about this is, what was it? Like something happened in this guy's life. Something happened in him where from one moment he's dumping ice buckets of insults on Jesus, and then the next moment he has the clearest understanding of the gospel that a crook could have, verse 41. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. How clear is the gospel in that? So remember me, Jesus, when you enter into glory. To this I hold, my hope is only this man right here. All the glory evermore to him. It's not me. I know it's not me. I, I, like, there's nothing that I, could, that I could have done to merit entrance into paradise, but it's him. My only boast, my only plea is, is this man. Something happened in this man's life. What was it? I don't know what it was, but I, ha I have to think that understanding the way that God works, I have to think that somebody was praying for his soul. Someone had been praying for his soul. Somebody has, maybe it was in that moment, but something clicked within him where from one second he's hurling insults to another second, he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, could this be? Maybe he'd heard the stories of the Old Testament as he was growing up. Maybe his mom would sit him on his lap and read him these stories and, and maybe his dad died and he didn't have, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. We don't know. But I just know that nobody comes to faith in Jesus unless the Spirit of God is working within them. That God is not slow in keeping His promise as some consider slowness to be, but God is patient with everyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. I said that last week also, uh, 2 Peter 3.9. God's desire is to bring people to Himself. I wonder if it was Mary Magdalene who was at the cross, it says in John's Gospel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Mary, the wife of Clopas, we don't know who that was. John was there. Maybe they just couldn't bear to hear them making fun of Jesus any longer. They just prayed, God, help him just be quiet. Help him, just, help him to believe. Whatever it is, someone, someone must have been fighting for his soul, right? I wonder if there was a mother, a mother, a, a praying mother, and there's nothing like in Scripture, nothing like the prayers of a praying mother. You understand that, mamas, you've got to understand Throughout Scripture, you see this all throughout the Bible. The prayers of a praying mother are powerful and effective over and against the prayers of anyone else in a person's life. Maybe this guy had a mother who was praying for his soul. The way I imagine it, I imagine it as she's praying. Maybe she's gone into, into glory, but God would not deny her prayers. She's in heaven. Maybe she's prayed and she's still alive, but she doesn't want to see her beloved son, die, being crucified. And so she prays and she hears him insulting Jesus. It's the last thing she hears. And she goes back home heartbroken. But to see this guy in heaven, maybe when he rides up on the elevator into heaven, I know that's not how it's going to be, but he rides up into heaven and his mom is there. And she's like, what the son? What are you doing? 
Can you imagine the joy in her heart? Maybe she goes home and she, all she knows is my son died mocking Jesus and she gets through the gates of splendor and the first one to welcome her was her son. She's like, son, what are you doing? As she walks through the gates of glory and he says, mom, I couldn't wait for you to come. I couldn't wait for you to come. It was your prayers. You prayed for me. And after you left me to, at, the, at the cross, I, I, I realized all the things that you taught me were true, that that's who he was, and I believed in him. And he said, today you're going to be with me. I've been waiting for you, Mom. Do you understand? Some of you, man, God is working in your heart because you've got somebody who's been praying for you. And the fact that you're here is because it's not too late for you. Because God is calling out to you. He's reaching out to you. Maybe you felt it in your heart as you've been coming out. You've been feeling this sense of guilt as you've been living in sin. And you understand that. And you feel like it's not this guilty like shame. But it's this guilty love that's drawing you. Like love is drawing me back. It's not too late. As long as you've got the breath of life in you. As long as there's still time on your clock. It's not too late for you to come to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying to you and to me through this thief. And the conversation that he has with him at Calvary. Some of you feel like it's too late. But Jesus is holding out. Holding out friendship to you. And he says, will you grab a hold of this grace that I have? The second thing that we see is that it's not too late. It's not too late. The tricky thing is you don't know when it will be. You don't know when the time's going to expire on your life. A lot of people wait, they say, until the 11th hour, end up dying at 10.59. They live with an eternity full of regrets. It's not too late. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is your friend, faithful like no other. The last thing that we see is that Jesus can't wait for you to be his friend. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, if it's really true, if it's really true that you're a king, somehow, like, if you, if you get a kingdom, when you're sitting on the throne, Jesus, can you just remember me? Remember me. Do me a solid, would you? Jesus said, listen, I tell you the truth. Not only will I remember you, but he said, today said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's like, you don't need to wait until some distant future. Like today, the moment we breathe our last breath, you're going to be in paradise. That's crazy, scandalous love. Jesus doesn't just say, listen, yeah, listen up. Uh, one day in the future, I'll remember you. Can I tell you the truth? You'll be in paradise. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? Hey, look, as I hold out my hand to you, I'm giving you a ticket to the heavenly banquet. Just come in, show yourself. Say, I came through Jesus, and that's cool. Make yourself at home. Hang out with people. Eat food uh, and be cool. Maybe I'll run into you. Jesus doesn't say that. He says today, like this very day, not only will you be in paradise, but he says, you'll be with me. Jesus says, I've been waiting for you. 
I can't wait for you to be a friend of mine. I can't wait for us to dance on the streets that are golden where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more tears, even given to this guy? You're not too lost to be a friend of Jesus. It's not too late. Jesus can't wait to be your friend. It's like the, the guy and the girl, I don't know if this, if this illustration makes any sense, but a guy and a girl, and they, you know, they, they run into each other. They're kids. They're like, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't know what they are, 20. But in their minds, oh my gosh, like, I really like this girl, says the boy in his mind. Oh my gosh, I really like this boy, says the girl in her mind. But in her mind, as they, you know, go to the same school or work in the same place, whatever, they never have a conversation. Boy never looks at the girl. And the girl, for all that she knows, she's like, man, I just wish he would talk to me just once. But he didn't even know I exist. He doesn't know that I take a mass in this great big universe. Like, who, he, doesn't even know, he doesn't even know who I am. So sad. He, someone ever mentioned their, my name, no one would ever, he would never know. In his mind, he's like, oh, my gosh. I just wish that she would talk to me. I got so in love with her. Whatever he knows love to be, I'm so in love with her. I just wish I wasn't so shy and so nervous to be able to talk. Oh, my gosh. But one day, as divine cosmic chance and fate and fortune would have it, they bump into each other. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And then from there, they begin a relationship. And he says, I'm just wondering, do you want to go to... Taco Bell with me or something. Do you want to go to shopping with me? And she said, yeah. I can't believe it. I can't believe you finally asked. He's like, what do you mean? I've been waiting since the day that we met. He's like, you have? I never knew. I've been waiting since the day that we met also. They couldn't wait to be each other's friend. Jesus can't wait. He couldn't wait. He was longing to be a friend, waiting. And when you say, okay, Jesus, I'll come, he says, I've been waiting all this time for you. Jesus has been extending his friendship to you. It's, if, if you've ever gotten a friend request from someone on social media, you don't know who they are. You look at them, you look at any mutual followers or friends, you're like, I don't know who they are. And so you hit delete. And then the next day, you get a friend request from that same person. You're like, this is kind of odd. You hit delete. They may, must be looking for a different David, Larry, Kim. So I'll delete it. Third day comes around again. Same friend request. Delete. After about 10 days, it gets really annoying, right? Like, dude, can I just like block and report this person forever? You can see it that way. On the other hand, the other thing you might be thinking is, wow, I think they really want to be my friend. You wouldn't be wrong when it comes to Jesus. That he really wants to be your friend. Maybe some of you have never begun a friendship with Jesus. Maybe for reasons like this thief on the cross, you just feel like, I can't. I'm too lost. I'm too far gone. It's too late. Maybe others of you have begun a friendship with Jesus, but listen, you're walking, you've walked away from him. 
you're not walking with him anymore, the things that you're doing make you feel like you can't come back on that road to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online, worshiping online, because you feel like I can't be in the company of other people who follow Jesus right now. I just feel too bad. If you're walking the wrong way, the invitation of Jesus is that you would turn around. And when you think you've got to look far and away into the distance in order to see Jesus, to your shock, what you will see is as soon as you turn around, you will bump right into the face of Jesus. Because as far away as you have gone, Jesus has been right there with you. He's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He's never forsaken you. Yeah, on that road marked with sinful suffering, you may have inflicted damage upon yourself. There are consequences from the choices that we make. But check this. Do you think these guys ever wished that they had a redo in their lives? What Jesus is saying is that all the bad choices that you've ever made in your life can be redeemed by one good choice that you make. And that was a choice to walk back to Jesus. That's what this young man, old man, this criminal on the cross did. And he found Jesus could not wait to be his friend. The other criminal rebuked him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. There was a redeemer crucified in the middle. There was a receiver of grace. And there was a rejecter of grace. All of us stand on one side of the cross. Either we'll receive his grace or we'll reject his grace. And for all eternity, we will live in the consequences of that choice that we made. But the one who rejected his grace said something that he didn't know the profundity of it. When he said, save yourself in us, what he did not realize is that Jesus could not do both. If he were to save himself then all of humanity would have been condemned and lost. But in order to save those who had put their trust in him, he could not save himself. In other words, what Jesus did, the scandal of grace that the receiving criminal understood, we are punished justly, we're getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, what he's understanding in that crucial moment in history was that he understood that Jesus was dying for his sins. And the only way that he could be saved was through the life and death of another. And Jesus offered that grace to the criminal, and he offered that grace to us as well. Do you feel like Jesus has been calling you to be his friend? He speaks once again into your heart, offering this friend request. He says, it's not too late. You're not too lost. All of your bad choices could be redeemed by one good choice that you make. He can't wait to be your friend. And that's how, on the hardest day and in the worst day of Jesus' life, as he was beaten and ridiculed, insulted, spit upon, rejected, abandoned, and lost fellowship with his father, 
he looked at a thief on the cross who was going through the hardest and worst day of his life, and he made it the best day, a far greater day than that guy could ever imagine. That's grace, and that's what he offers to you. That's what he offers to me. Let's pray together. Hey, sometimes we got to leave the 99 to go looking for one. That's what Jesus did. Didn't make any sense to the people around him why he would do that, why he would say that, why he would pursue that kind of a person. But you know what? People have said that about me too. People have said that about you too. Why would God love someone like him? Why would anyone pursue someone like her? Why would anyone love somebody like them? Because love and perfect love cannot be denied, cannot be overcome. That God is drawn to the broken the way that a doctor is drawn to the sick because he knows that he can bring healing because God knows what you and I need. Your sin doesn't push him away. Your sin draws him near to you. If anyone ever told you that your sin made you unacceptable in the eyes of God, they told you a lie. Jesus is a friend of sinners. The one thing that his biography say, he's a friend of what? Not a friend of the rich, not a friend of the religious, not a friend of the rulers, not a friend of the elite. He's a friend of sinners. And if you fall into the category of sinner, then Jesus wants to be your friend. And it's not too late. You're not too lost. He can't wait to clear all the bad choices you made through one good choice you make today. Can you reach out your hand to receive the friendship of Jesus today? Let's pray for a few moments like that together. Let's confess, let's repent, receive his grace, receive his friendship. Let's walk with him.